0: morning, folks. If you're new and visiting us this morning, uh, my name's Brendan. I'm one of the uh, people on the leadership team at Sovereign Grace. Thanks so much for coming and visiting. We're a church that loves visitors, and so trust trust you feel welcome. One of the things that we really have a heart to, to do as leaders in the church is give you good books. And I've been raving about, talking about, um, excited about this book for quite a long time. It's called Gospel Wakefulness by Jared Wilson. And uh, basically this book is about Jared's story about how the gospel came to life in his life and uh, about how you can be a Christian by just living an ordinary life and what some might call a lukewarm Christian and then to suddenly seemingly come alive to the gospel and be on fire for the Lord and and that's the, the story of Jared's life and particularly the part of personal brokenness and how the Lord uses difficulty in our lives to achieve this. And so I just want to encourage you, it's out the back, it's $16. I think this is going to be an important book for this church because for many of you, I know it's your story in this book and I think this will give you a language to talk about your walk with the Lord about how, since coming to this church, God has brought you to life in the gospel. Uh, Jared Wilson, Gospel Wakefulness, there at the back. I think there's four or five people I know that want it already, and there's only ten copies. So get on it. Well, if you're new and visiting, you might not be aware we're continuing in uh, our series on the Book of Acts. Last week, I thought DT did such a great job in looking at the book as a whole and opening up for us the book of Acts. We're thankful for your life, brother. You're a great gift this church in your preaching and in your example, mate. And I was really encouraged to see how God's plan is unstoppable. Well, this week we're moving on and we're looking at Acts chapter 2. So if you've got your Bibles, why don't you open them to Acts chapter 2. But I wanted just to start, for many of us I know in this church, you have... Friends, you have uh, family members, colleagues, spouses that are unbelievers. And you've been praying for them. Maybe you've been praying for them since you started coming to this church three years ago now. Maybe you've been praying for them even longer than three years. And yet, still, hearts that are hard to the Gospel. Hearts that are unregenerate and far from God. And I wonder whether or not you're anything like me. And that is tempted to disbelieve the power of the Gospel to change their lives. Tempted to disbelieve that God in His sovereignty is able to break in and change that heart, raise it to life and bring faith. And life with us death and disbelief. Well, if that's you and you're like me, I believe Acts chapter 2 speaks powerfully to you. So why don't you open your Bibles, join with me and we're going to read the whole chapter, Acts chapter 2. The coming of the Holy Spirit. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered. Because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Not all these who are speaking, Galileans. And how is it that we hear, each one of us, in his own native language? Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygra and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene. And visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea, and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, and I will pour out my spirit on all flesh And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and young men shall see visions, and old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they will prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapour of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptised and there were added that day, about 3,000 souls. Won't you join with me in praying? Oh Lord, precious Saviour, we come before your word this morning, a, a people prone to weakness, doubt and disbelief. But would you help us Would you speak to us? Would you strengthen and embolden us to see our risen Saviour, to see a Gospel that cannot be stopped? And would we therefore go forward in faith bringing the good news of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ? Lord, help me. Help us. I pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, if you're anything like me, and you're a man sitting in this room, you like explosions, and uh, you like setting things on fire, and that pleases you. I can see all the the ladies sort of shaking their heads and. Growing up, this is my story of my life, and uh, there's been numerous, numerous times where I can see in hindsight the Lord has sovereignly kept me from danger because of some of the foolish things that I've, that I've done. Uh, a memorable one that comes to, to mind is when I was at church, in fact, in youth group, we superheated oil on a pan until we were able to set it on fire. And we placed it in a, in a Sulu bin, in a wheelie bin, and uh, right down in the bottom, and my, my mate climbed onto the roof of the church and poured water off the roof of the church into the bin to make a big massive fireball, which then almost blew him off the roof of the church. Um, Fun games that guys like to play. But one that was particularly memorable is a time when I was at my friend's place and we were uh, setting a fire, as young boys of about 15 or 16 do like to do, in his dad's backyard. Now, his dad had uh, probably about four acres of land, quite a big block for, for Wollongong, definitely. And he had a big tractor. And we had this little fire going down the back and his mum was inside blissfully unaware of what we're up to. And we had this fire going and uh, we knew that his dad had this big tractor and we also knew his dad had this massive keg of petrol that he used to fuel his tractor. And so we thought, wouldn't it be fantastic if we got some fuel and put it on the fire? So there was about four of us boys dragging this massive keg of tetral towards this fire because in our minds we thought, well, we just unscrew the lid and pour a little bit straight from the keg onto the fire and it will be fantastic. Um, Not thinking at all. And so we drag this keg closer and closer. The fire's about two metres away and we stop. And one of my friends, a guy called Peter, he, he just stopped and said, oh, Maybe we should just like, try a little bit first and then um, put it on and see, see what happens. Like, yeah, warm up a little bit before the show. Excellent. So two of my friends picked up a little plastic container and poured in petrol from the fire and came to the fire and threw it. And this huge fireball went off and burnt their eyebrows off. <laughs> and I remember sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, what almost happened. And uh, we would have minimally have been seriously burnt, I think. Uh, possibly have killed ourselves if we went for the kindness of the Lord. but There's something about an explosion that's that's fantastic and I think illustrates something special about what's happening in Acts chapter 2. And that is that the ascension of Christ into heaven is the detonator for an explosion of the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit. Tim Keller puts it this way. The ascension is the detonator for everything else Jesus Christ did. The ascension is that which takes Jesus Christ, who Jesus Christ is and what he did on earth and releases it into your life with all its healing power. Just imagine a nuclear explosion. Christ ascends and then there's this nuclear explosion of the gospel going forward as the spirit descends. Well, This message I've entitled, Power From On High, The Coming of the Holy Spirit. And really there's three points and uh, one hope. The first point, the explosion. Secondly, the explanation. And thirdly, the effect. But the one hope, I guess, that I really have, and really just just hope, and I've been praying about this week, praying that the Lord helps us in it. And that is that God would fill you with faith and boldness. As you see that because of the Holy Spirit, the spread of the gospel cannot be stopped. That God will fill you with faith and boldness as you see that because of, of the Holy Spirit, this gospel message is unstoppable. Three points. Well, first point the explosion. And uh, uh, if we cast, just as a way of context, our minds back to last week, you remember how uh, we were reading the disciples come to the risen Saviour, to Jesus who's been raised from the dead, and they're still thinking, they're still thinking geopolitically, they're still thinking Jesus has come back to life and now it's Roman butt-kicking time. And so they're like, when are you going to restore the heavens and earth? When, When will the kingdom be formed? You know, they're still thinking right hand left hand they're still thinking that Jesus has come to reign physically now and you remember from last week if you open up your bibles to uh, acts chapter 1 flick back to the previous passage Jesus says no 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 it's 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 not me over to you guys it's you so let's read with me acts chapter 1 verse 8 that great verse Jesus said from verse 7, he said, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of earth. And then Jesus ascends up to the Father. And you can see the look of disbelief on the disciples' face as it's handed over to them. Jesus says, not me, you guys are on. And then he ascends. And this this passage, this verse of the Gospel, Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, all the ends of the earth, becomes the structure of the book as a whole. We see in chapters 1 through to 6, the Gospel is going forward from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria. And by chapter 12, we're in Antioch. And by chapter 15, we're spreading wider in Greece. And by chapter 21... The gospel has already reached Rome with Paul in chains. The gospel is exploding, moving forward from out from Jerusalem. Well just as a way of setting to our passage as we look at it, it's the Feast of the Weeks. It's Pentecost. Feast of the Weeks. It's a feast in Jerusalem celebrating seven weeks since the Passover. 50 days, that's where we get the name Pentecost, 50 days after Passover. It's one of the big three feasts in the Jewish calendar. And so Jerusalem is absolutely buzzing. It's 10 days after Jesus ascended to heaven and Jerusalem is full of people from all over, all Jews from all around the the world of that time gathered together together. And you can imagine the markets are buzzing, there's people buying things for the feast and talking and the temple's busy with prayers and dedications. Jerusalem's alive. Well, let's continue on reading. Let's read the very beginning of our passage. Acts chapter 2 from verse 1. It says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the disciples are gathered together in, in this large house, probably of a wealthy member of of their group, a wealthy early disciple, follower of Jesus. And as they're gathered together in this large house, there's a whole big group of them. Something like a wind rushes through and we don't know for sure how it happened, but this thing that looks like fire comes down and maybe it landed on one person and split and starts resting above the heads of all of the people that are present in this house and, and they start speaking in tongues. But this is not the tongues that we were talking about in First Corinthians 12 through 14. This is not ecstatic tongues. This is different languages. People are speaking in actual different languages and this is an amazing miracle. I was, I was thinking about this just this week. I've been uh, trying to uh, learn a little bit of uh, Cantonese uh, just to impress Charlotte's parents a little bit. And so we were... Uh, you know how it is. And so I was sitting in the car with Anita and, and Charlotte... And uh, a few other people, were, I, just, I was asking, well, what would the best, most impressive thing to, to learn be? And, and they talked about it and they, um, and they said, we will teach you how to say, I'm a rich man. <laughs> because I clearly am. And, um, and so I'm practicing it, practicing it. And they're like wetting themselves, laughing, listening to me. Practicing, trying to get it right. And I won't say it here, I won't embarrass myself. But um, I thought, I was getting confident. I thought, yeah, I've nailed it. So I went home and I thought I'd practice on Andrew. And Andrew, as you know, is a native Cantonese speaker. And um, so I practiced it and I said it to him. And he looks at me like, really puzzled. I'm like, what did you think I said? And he said, I'm a male prostitute. (laughs) (laughs) Do not try that one on the envelope. Anyway, um, learning another language is challenging, but this is an amazing miracle. These disciples are gathered together, and they're speaking in the languages of the people around them. Suddenly, you know, this, this person here is you know speaking Cantonese, and and you know, in Nigerian and German, and they're praising God. They're singing the the mighty works of God. They're speaking the gospel, and and there's. All of these people around that are hearing it in their own language. Amazing. Well, what's this all about? The tongues at Pentecost are a sign. They are a sign which points to the significance of the coming of the Holy Spirit, which is that God will take his gospel to the nations by the Spirit's power. You know, think with me, back to Genesis 1 in the very beginning. You know, God makes the heavens and the earth. He makes them and they're good. And God is there and he's dwelling with man. And everything's good. God's walking with man. Everything is good. And God says to man, he says, look, eat of anything you want. Just not of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil because if you eat of this tree, you will surely die. And man believes the lie of the serpent and he eats of the tree. And immediately God, in faith to his promise, curses the ground and curses the man and death reigns on earth. And jump forward a few chapters later in in Genesis 11, man in Babel is gathered together and they think to themselves, they say, look, let's make a name for ourselves. Let's build a tower so high that we'll reach the heavens and be close to God. And the Bible says in a word of humour about God, that God came down to see their tower. And God comes down and sees their tower and curses the men with different languages and spreads them out across the face of the earth, scatters them as punishment. And in the very next chapter, God appears to Abraham. And Abraham says, God says to Abraham, I will make you famous. I will make your name great. I will make you, even though you're in your old age, into a great nation. And through you, Abraham, all the nations on earth will be blessed. And in some sense, in the coming chapters, as we go through Exodus and Kings, we see that the prophecy is fulfilled. Israel is at its peak, a great nation. But the question we're left with is, how will the nations be blessed through Abraham? How will this creation that's gone to wreck be restored? And we're left wondering until John chapter 1, when the divine word becomes flesh and comes into this earth. And Jesus, man, God, who comes and dwells with us, says himself in John John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus in his ministry preaches the good news of the gospel, preaches the good news of how you can be richly blessed, how you can be restored once again with your creator. We jump forward to now. Jesus dies on that cross pays the penalty in full. And now we have the people with the risen Saviour gathered together, having raised Himself, having ascended back to the Father, His people gathered together in Jerusalem. Well, now Pentecost is a sign. God is saying in Pentecost, as He addresses the nations in their own tongues, He's saying this message of the Gospel I want you to hear it. I want you to hear it and understand it in your own language because it's for the nations. It's going out. And I think think that has just amazing significance for us. I think sometimes we don't realise how far removed away we are from this, naturally, from the people of God. I mean, think with me. At this time, for those of us who are from a Caucasian background, at this time... When Pentecost was happening, our forefathers were pagan tribesmen living in Roman Britain, worshipping sun gods and gods of the harvest. That's who our forefathers were. And yet because of this explosion of the gospel, here we sit, folded into the people of God. It's amazing. But just as a caveat, you know, just as a note, I I just want to say this is an important thing that God is doing in the history of his work in the world. It's an important event in salvation history. And so this is a sign of something else. And likewise, we shouldn't expect Pentecosts to be repeated here as a regular part of our daily meeting together as a church. No, this is a special event in God's salvation history. He's saying... Now that my spirit has arrived, this gospel is going out and it can't be stopped. Well, God is taking his gospel to the nations and he's doing it through the power of the spirit in ordinary Christians. Point one, the explosion. Jesus ascends to the Father's side and the Holy Spirit explodes down on the earth. Point two, the explanation. Pentecost has even further significance in the eyes of Peter. And so, as an event, it requires an explanation. I mean, the crowd remains confused. Some are saying, what's going on with this? These guys are sloshed. Others are saying, what on earth does it mean? And Peter stands up and he preaches the gospel to the crowd. This is ground zero for the explosion of the gospel. This is right at the heart of the explosion of the gospel. This is Peter who was a wimp. Peter who, I read this morning in in my devotions, was intimidated by a servant girl so much that he he denied Christ three times and now he stands boldly ready to proclaim the gospel. I don't think this is a model for our preaching, this, this passage, this sermon of Peter's, but because for one reason he's speaking to Jews who are familiar with the atonement. So he doesn't talk about the sacrificial nature of what Jesus did on the cross, about the significance of blood and of a sacrificial death. He doesn't need to. He's preaching to Jews. But in the same breath, I think there's lots that we can learn from this, so let's get stuck in. The first thing that that Peter says about Pentecost is, Pentecost is the fulfilment of scripture. He says, they're not drunk, it's only nine o'clock. There was actually a tradition in the the Feast of Weeks at Pentecost that people wouldn't eat or drink up until 10 o'clock, they'd fast in the morning. And so Peter's saying, look, it's highly unlikely that these guys are drunk. It's it's only 9 o'clock in the morning, it's only the third hour. Secondly, I think it's important to remember that Jesus had been teaching the disciples about how the Old Testament points to himself. It says so in in, in Luke 24, 45, that Jesus explained about how all the, the scriptures point to him and Peter sees what's happened at Pentecost and he sees fulfillment of scripture specifically from a prophecy from the prophet Joel in Joel chapter 2 verse 28 to 32 and i want to read you just from verse 17 because i think it's very significant god says through the prophet joel and in the last days it shall be god declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. I shall pour out my spirit on all flesh, all flesh, not just on those who are born into the people of God. I'm going to pour out my spirit says God, on everyone. And this happens mightily at Pentecost. And Peter says, fulfillment of scripture. But he sees more than that. He goes on to quote from Psalm 16, 8 to 11, and also a section from Psalm 110, and concludes that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This salvation is for every person who calls on Jesus. says, Jesus, save me. Secondly, Pentecost means Jesus was who he said he was, Peter says. He appeals to them as witnesses. He says, hey guys, you were there. Read with me verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know. Peter's saying, I don't even need to tell you this. You were there, you saw it. God attested to him, saying, this is my Messiah through all the things he did. You know, Jesus would have been the talk of the town. Everyone would have been talking about all the amazing miracles that Jesus performed during the time that he was there. But more than this, read on with me, verse 23a. Peter says, this Jesus... Delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. More than this, it was God's plan. Peter says, you killed him, God planned it. You know, if the cross was an accident, it would have no benefit for us whatsoever. It just would be one of the great tragedies of history. But it was no accident. God planned it and he planned it from the very beginning that he would send his son. But he says even more than this. Read on, verse 23. Again. Delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. It was God's plan But you did it. The greatest sin that was ever committed, the murder of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was both God's plan and the greatest sin ever committed. Both divine sovereignty and human responsibility all together in one. Inseparable, says Peter. And this is offensive, it's offensive. He's standing up before these Jews and saying, you saw this Jesus? He was there. He was, I mean, you saw all the things he did and you killed him. Offensive. Absolutely offensive. And I think it says something about our gospel. Our gospel, friends, at its heart is Offensive. Because we're telling people both that they're more loved than they could ever possibly fathom, but also that they're more wicked than they could ever possibly know, that God's judgment is resting upon their lives and that there's nothing they can do in and of themselves to make it right. It's an offensive gospel. And it's not that we bring it gloatingly and gloat in the offense of others, but at its core it's something that's, really distasteful and repugnant to the, to the natural palate. It's offensive. Or well, to Pentecost means, to Peter, Pentecost means Jesus was who he said he was and you killed him. Well, Pentecost also means, according to Peter, that Christ is enthroned by the Father in heaven. Read with me from verse 29. Brothers, I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would be set, one of his descendants, on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Peter stands up and he says, we've seen it, guys. We've seen Jesus raised from the dead. We're witnesses to it. Christianity, you know, depends more than any other religion on the actual events of history happening. We believe that Jesus was raised from the dead in time and space. It actually occurred as a real event, that there is an empty tomb. And this has been the message of the disciples right back from the very beginning. John, he says in his first letter, he says, that which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands. John says, we've seen him, we've touched him, we've heard him, we've been with him, he's risen. This actually happened. Well, this speaking in tongues, Peter says, is a sign that Jesus is Lord. He's been raised to the Father's side and he's calling the shots from heaven. Read with me verse 33. He says, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Peter says, you know what's going on, guys? Jesus has been raised to the right hand of God and now, just as he said, he's pouring out his spirit and that's what you're seeing and that's what you're hearing. God has raised him up. This Jesus, he says in verse 36, who you crucified. And that is what Pentecost points to. Well, the Holy Spirit explodes down on earth and Peter boldly explains... The Gospel. Explanation, point two. Or point three, the effect. You might be just sitting here and thinking to yourself, well, Brendan, why does this matter? I mean, why does it matter that Jesus has been raised to the Father's side and that he's with him? What's important? That his spirit has been poured out. So what? Well, I think there's four implications that I want to look at of the fact that Jesus has been raised and he has exploded down into our lives. And the first implication is that the king is always at your side. He's always at your side. You know, I think if you're anything like me, when it comes to preaching the gospel and talking with friends about Christ, you get really nervous and you're afraid. You know, I can, I can stand up here and preach, but get me one-on-one with a friend who I really care about, someone close to me. And it's like I don't have any breath. It's like suddenly I get all weird and like, I can't even speak and they, they must be thinking, like, what's going on? What, you know, what, what's the big deal? I, I just think of my brother Daniel, who I love so much, but who is so far from the Lord? I mean, Daniel, we grew up in a Christian family and we used to go to church on Sunday and... And at a very young age, Dan he just walked away from the Lord. But he didn't just walk away from the Lord as someone who's not following Christ. He he, he became someone who's angry against God. And he, it used to be Dan's pet hobby to try and convince Christians that God isn't real. That used to be his hobby, his sport. And so when it comes to me thinking about sharing the gospel with my brother Dan, I just get... I just get fear, I'm afraid. And I wonder how is it with you, with your friends or colleagues or maybe even your spouse? Are you someone who is afraid? Let's read what God's word has to say about fear in sharing the gospel. Let's read the effect of the explosion. Let's read verse 37. Peter has finished his sermon and it says, now when they heard this they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers what shall we do? They were cut to the heart. In Greek it's, it's literally they were stabbed right in the heart. They were pierced right in the heart. This is This is the floodlighting effect of the Holy Spirit. This is the Spirit shining on Christ and these Jews, they, they see Him so clearly and they go, oh no, what have we done? What shall we do? They're cut to the heart. And Lord, oh, that He would do that in our church. Oh, that we'd see people every day being cut to the heart by the power of the Spirit working in their lives. After years of running, that someone can, in a moment, see Christ and just be completely cut to the heart and repent and turn to him. And he goes on, read verse 38 with me. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter says, you need to turn and receive forgiveness of your sins. And note what he says. And you will receive the Holy Spirit. You will receive the Holy Spirit, Peter says. Not you might, but you will. When a person comes to put their trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit immediately comes and dwells in them. There is no second baptism of the Spirit. No, you receive the Spirit when you put your faith in Christ. When you repent of your sins and you put your trust in Him, the Spirit comes and dwells in you. John Piper puts it this way. He says, let me remind you of the almost unbelievable good news in this text. It shows us that even if you are a murderer of the Son of God, God Himself stands ready to forgive you And not only to forgive you, but to give you his spirit. In other words, he is willing to cancel all your debts and come and live with you and guide you and change you and empower you. Isn't that amazing? Even if you're a murderer of the Son of God, God stands willing to forgive you and come in you and empower you. That's amazing. Let's be clear. It's not that Peter wielded the word particularly well that day and people were cut to the heart. No, the spirit of God wielded his word powerfully that day and people were changed. It was though Christ himself was speaking in and through Peter. John uh, writes in John chapter 16, 7, Jesus says, He says, it's better that I go and ascend to my Father because I'm sending one other who's coming. I'm sending a helper who's coming and will be with you always. Jesus says, it's better that I go to heaven because while I'm here on earth, I can only just be with you and with you and with you here. But if I ascend to my Father, the Spirit's coming and I can be with you wherever you are. It's better that I go. You know, in Acts 9, when when the risen Saviour appears to Paul, at that time Saul, what does he say? He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting not my disciples? Why are you persecuting me? You know, Christ is so with us. He's so close to those who follow him that when we experience persecution, it's as though Christ himself is being persecuted. The risen Lord, if you're afraid to speak, the risen Lord grips your hand and he says, now speak for me. The king is always at your right hand. Well, secondly, the second implication of this explosion of the gospel through the Holy Spirit is that the spread of the gospel is unstoppable. It is absolutely unstoppable. There's no accident that it's during the Feast of Weeks that Jesus appears or that Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. It's no accident. It's no accident that he waited another 10 days before he sent the Spirit powerfully onto the gospel, onto the disciples. No, it's the Feast of Weeks. And there's thousands and thousands and thousands of Jews from all over the world gathered together in that city. Thousands of men and women gathered in that city, orchestrated by our risen Saviour, our risen King, because the gospel is going global. It's going international. It's going inter-ethnic, inter It's going out. And 3,000 people from all over the world on that day were added to their number. It's unstoppable. And so we read, as we read through Acts, time and time again, Acts 2.47, and the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved, Acts 5.14, and more and more than ever believers were added to the multitude, multitudes of both men and women. Acts 6.7, and the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Acts 9.31, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Spirit, it multiplied Acts 12, 24, but the word of God increased and multiplied. In Cyprus, it says in Acts 13, 12, then the proconsul believed when he saw that what had occurred for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. And finally, in Acts 28, 30 through to 31, in Rome, at the very end of the book, Luke writes, Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and hindrance, and without hindrance. We are swept up in this amazing explosion of the Holy Spirit and the gospel going forward. It cannot be stopped. It's spreading out from Jerusalem and going forth and going forth. It is unstoppable. And we are swept up in that same movement. We continue to feel the ripples even here. You know, Andrew has been traveling uh, overseas in China, and I was just so encouraged to hear about some of the things that God continues to do through His Spirit in that country. It's amazing. That nation is going to be a future powerhouse for the gospel. He was saying in one of the provinces, just one of the provinces he visited, a province of Anhui in an area called Dengshan. Eighteen years ago, there were two lay workers in one church. Just 18 years ago. Now, 18 years on, there are two pastors but 400 lay workers and 160 churches with 100,000 Christians 100,000 Christians added to their number in 18 years. The gospel, unstoppable. But not just internationally, right here in this church, unstoppable. I was just thinking, you know, on it this week. Angela, just a few years ago, didn't know the Lord. Now her life completely transformed. I D, same story again lives transformed by the gospel. So many people who who were Christians but but just lacked a joy in the Lord and suddenly since coming to this church it's like they've been awakened by the gospel. That's, that's the explosion of the Holy Spirit. It's the unstoppable gospel. And it's just the beginning of what the Lord intends to do, I believe, through this church. You know, we're planning for Christmas already and our plan is... That we're going to preach the gospel for that whole month yeah, with Dave, uh, Wilson, and I have been chatting. We're going to put a barbecue on every church day, every Sunday for the whole month. We're going to preach the gospel. We're going to invite our friends and just pray that this explosion, this ripple would continue on. There's a risen Christ who's up by the Father's side and he's building his church and he's pouring out his Spirit. It's an explosion of the Spirit and it's unstoppable. Or well, thirdly, I believe a third implication is that we can give our lives to the spread of the Gospel. A third implication of the fact that Christ has risen, His Spirit has come and the Gospel is going for us is that we can, we can give our lives to it. You know, I was just at the beach, it was such a beautiful day with all the young adults yesterday and I was walking back to my car coming home to, to work on this message actually and I was walking past some of the houses just there in fresh water by the beach and I was oh, again I was having another episode of House Less just looking at these beautiful homes and just thinking oh, oh it's so beautiful. I would love to own one of these homes. And it just is amazing homes. And why right the beach is such a beautiful place and And I've just been feeling recently, just increasingly, a sense of like wanting to plan for the future and trying to save and probably being anxious and thinking, Well, how am I gonna save? How am I gonna save? I need I need some money for the future and and how's it gonna happen? You know, could I ever own a home here in this city and just the the cares of this world suddenly just coming upon my life and I'm just caught up in it? Well one of the implications of the fact that Jesus Christ has truly risen and that his spirit has come and it's exploding out, is that we can give our lives to this. You know, radical lives, never to be ashamed. Oh, your friends and family, they might mock you for the way you live, giving up that nice home for the sake of the gospel, giving up holidays, away way travels overseas, time that could be spent even with family. For the sake of the gospel. They might laugh at you. They might laugh in your face. What are you doing? What a waste. But you will never be ashamed. Because 50, maybe 60 years from now, when you stand before the Lord, that risen Lord, and see that your life was just the breath of his eternity with friends and family with him in heaven, you will have no regrets. Not a single regret friends we can give our lives to this and the good news is more than that because of the explosion of the spirit he will empower you to do it he will help you to do it and that's exactly what we see at the end of acts you know read with me acts acts verse 42 chapter 2 verse 42 it says and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And it goes on to say about how these these disciples just gave themselves completely to the gospel and to the church. And the Lord just continued to add people to their midst and they were full of joy and praising God and all together one in harmony. This explosion of the Spirit. We can give our lives to this. Well, my final point and where I want to end... Final implication of the fact that Jesus has risen and that his spirit has exploded onto earth is that we never give up. We never, ever give up. You know, for those friends who continue to seem resistant to the gospel, who continue to, despite our prayers, hold out against God, we, we don't give up on them, never. No, we trust in God's power and his goodness. And more than that, we persevere in prayer. We persevere in prayer, asking the Lord for boldness to speak and asking the Lord for his Holy Spirit to convict. You know, Spurgeon, who I love, says it this way. He says, Prayer is typified by sweet incense. Because God delights in it. He loves to see our desires for the accomplishment of his purposes. It is very pleasing to a father, as you who are parents can testify, to see his child in full sympathy with him and anxious to help him in his work. Though he can do but little and that little feebly and faultily, yet his eagerness to work with his father and for his father gives his father joy. Even thus does our Heavenly Father take pleasure in us and in our desire for His glory. We are nothing better than children, even in prayer, and and therefore it is not every request that is wise. But yet we are children. And therefore the cries which come from our hearts touch the heart of our Great Father in Heaven. Our desires that souls may be saved and that the church may prosper are so much in accordance with the mind of God that they must be a sweet savour unto him. Therefore, brethren, let us pray on as long as breath remains. If prayer pleaseth God, it should always please us. Isn't that right? Our prayers please God. Our prayers touch the heart of God of a father who longs to see saints come to know him. I was just thinking a little bit about this this week and just to encourage you about some ways in which the Lord has been working in and through my life. And I was thinking about some of the things he's been doing in my work. And as you know, we gather together often to pray every month in a group called 244, two hours for four people. And we gather and we pray for people that don't know the Lord. And I felt a couple of months ago to pray for a friend of mine from work. His name is James. And James used to be a priest. He left the priesthood and now works in Catholic chaplaincy at at my hospital. He's a lovely man, very kind and, and gentle guy. And James and I have sort of become friends and we often chat and talk and I just felt to pray for him. And so we prayed and then the very next day I was preaching at church and I preached a message about finding satisfaction in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And the very next day after preaching that I was in at work, which was a Wednesday, I worked Wednesday through to Friday, I was back in at work and James comes up to me at my desk as I'm writing notes uh, at the hospital. I work at the hospital as a physio and James came up to me and he said, oh, Brendan, how are you? Uh, how was your weekend? I said, oh, it was good. And he said, oh, Brendan, did you preach? I said, yeah, I did preach. And he said, oh, what was it about? I said, oh, okay. Um, it's about finding satisfaction in the finished work of Jesus and nothing else. And he said, oh. I've never really heard that before. That That sounds great. Uh, I was like, well, if it sounds that good, you can listen to it. It's online, you know. He's like, I think I'll do that. So he went down during his lunch break that day and listened to this message. And he was really touched by it. And so much so that he wrote me a letter. And anyway, I was walking around and people were saying, oh, James is looking for you. I passed in the corridor. He's like, oh, here, Brendan, here's a letter. And I'm thinking, oh, no, I've gone and offended the Catholic priest. (laughs) no with my message. And in the letter, James has said, look, you know, I, I've been watching your example at work and there's something different about you. And, and then goes on to quote all of my points from the message. And one of the points is about satisfaction in Christ. And he's like, I've never heard this before. This is amazing. This is so good. I must visit your church. Anyway, I come back to my desk and I've been reading this letter, and James comes up to me. He's like, Oh, Brennan, I was so encouraged by the message. You know, it was really great and, and keeps going on, and then leaves. And there's these nurses sitting next to me, and these nurses go, What was that about? I'm like, Oh, I just, you know, I just preached on the weekend, and James was really affected by it. And, and they're like, can we listen? Can we listen to it as well? I'm like, Oh, yeah. Okay, no worries. So I'm like, they're like, oh, what was it about? I'm explaining again uh, the gospel again, you know, to these people and writing down these details. And, and, um, and then even a week after that, one of my colleagues who I work very closely with said, said to me, we were um, sitting, you know, having a, a, a morning tea and she said, oh, what are you doing this weekend? I'm like, oh, I'm preaching. And she's like, oh, I heard the other week. James is going on about something that you, you preach. Do you reckon I can listen to it? It's like, okay, no, no worries. Start like running down the details. And it's not just to, to boast or anything of me at all. It's just the Lord immediately answering a prayer by the power of His Spirit. I mean, the explosion of the gospel isn't just overseas or somewhere else. It's not a thing back in the time. It's continuing on to this day. And so we don't give up. We never give up. We continue to ask the Lord in prayer for our friends and family that he would move, that he would work on them, that he would, that he would bring dead lives to life again by the power of his Holy Spirit. Well, in closing... Because of the ascension of the Holy Spirit has exploded into the world and Peter stands up and he boldly explains the events of Pentecost and now we continue to see lives radically change as the Gospel moves to the end of the earth. May God fill you with faith and boldness as you see that because of the ascension of Christ and because of the coming of the Holy Spirit, the gospel is unstoppable. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we pray. We pray in the name of Jesus. Would you send your spirit powerfully amongst us, Lord, to see lives changed by the power of your gospel? Lord, we can't do it by ourselves. None of our efforts will achieve it. Lord, we need you. Lord, your gospel is unstoppable, Lord. Give us faith and eyes to see it and believe it, Lord. Give us boldness. Lord, I pray for anyone here who finds it hard to share their faith. Lord, would you speak to them? Would you fill them with faith? Would you fill them with boldness and trust in you to take your gospel forward? Lord, for this church, Lord, we pray, would we see hundreds, hundreds of people praising Jesus for the very first time in this place because of the outpouring of your spirit, Lord? Would you do it? May we see it. Lord, you're a risen King who's with us, who's always present who desires to see people come to know you, to trust in you, Lord. Would you move in this church? Lord, we long to see you lifted up. Lord, we long to see others enjoy the joy we experience in you, Lord. Lord, Lord, powerfully work by your Spirit exalt your son Jesus Lord may he be lifted up and we pray this in his name Amen